Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I'm Karen Schofield Leka. I use per, pers pronouns, short for person, and I am the officiant this morning. Wes is one community united across time and space, gathering for these Sunday platforms to affirm our values and commit to a better world. So I want to welcome those of you who are here in the hall, those who are watching on Zoom now, or those who are catching the recording later. If you're on Zoom, please check the chat for a welcome and various tips from Paul Baker, today's Zoom chat usher. If you're here in the hall and would like an assistive listening device, please ask the sound team at the back. A special welcome to our visitors today. We'd love to get to know you and answer any questions you might have. To get on our email list, you can fill out a connection form at tiny.cc westconnects, or send an email to wes, W-E-S, at ethicalsociety.org. We only use this information to communicate directly with you and don't share your contact information, so that is great. And if you're here in person, we invite you to stop by the welcome table after platform. I'm now going to check the Zoom chat to see who is saying hello this morning. Let's see, we have Judy Meyer says hi there. Lynn, oh Lynn, Lynn G says good morning and Sue Smith says good morning everyone. It's a holiday weekend, I think folks are uh, oops, hang on a second, I just lost my script. There we go. It is good connect, to connect and share this time together. Our opening words this morning are the poem, Opening Words for Labor Day by Reverend Meg Visser. We enter this meeting house of kindness and comfort. May rough worn hands and aching backs be healed. We enter this meeting house of hope for equality. May those who labor to survive live to know justice. We enter this meeting house of love and vocation. May our bonds of solidarity be strengthened. We enter this meeting house of courage and friendship. May we proceed hand in hand toward freedom. The opening song this morning is Building a New Way, performed by West Chorus members and Leah Morris. We are building a new way. We are building a new way. We are building
Each week we read our statement of purpose as a reminder of our shared values. And if you're interested in taking a turn to read the statement of purpose, you can sign up at tiny.cc slash read SOP. You can read it here in person or make a recording to be used in a future platform. Today's reader is Karen Storms. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thanks so much, Karen. As Karen lights our community candle, I invite everyone to join in our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Let us now enter into the centering time of our platform. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I'm particularly mindful of those who are recovering from the effects of Hurricane Adelia. And I'm also mindful that it's back to school time, and I'm especially concerned for LGBTQIA students facing hostility in the very institutions purportedly designed to support their growth. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us open our hearts to compassion for those who suffer. And let us commit ourselves to the work that calls for our love. I invite you now into meditation. I suggest you settle, you know, move your body around until you're able to settle into a position of ease. You might choose to close your eyes. Please take a deep breath and release it. 
and take another deep, nourishing breath. Become aware of your hands, their warmth, texture, and weight. These hands have wiped away tears, clenched in anger, waved hello and goodbye countless times, and embraced loved ones. What kinds of labor do your hands do? These hands have worked, are working, and will work to make the world a better place. For Labor Day, we honor our work, physical and mental, paid and unpaid, joyous and heartbreaking, and especially the work for justice. We continue our meditation in silence and in the music that follows.
Today's reading is Reveille by Lola Ridge. Come forth, you workers. Let the fires go cold. Let the iron spill out, out of the troughs. Let the iron run wild like a red bramble on the floors. Leave the mill and the foundry and the mine and the shrapnel lying on the wharves. Leave the desk and the shuttle and the loom. Come with your ashen lives, your lives like dust in your hands. I call upon you workers. It is not yet light, but I beat upon your doors. You say you await the dawn, but I say you are the dawn. Come in your irresistible unspent force and make new light upon the mountains. You have turned deaf ears to others. Me, you shall hear. Out of the mouths of turbines, out of the turgid throats of engines, over the whistling steam, you shall hear me shrilly piping. Your mills I shall enter like the wind and blow upon your hearts, kindling the slow fire. They think they have tamed you workers, beaten you to a tool to scoop up a hot honor till it be cool. But out of the passion of the red frontiers, a great flower trembles and burns and glows, and each of its petals is a people. Come forth, you workers, clinging to your stable straw. Let the fires grow cold. Let the iron spill out of the troughs. Let the iron run wild like a red bramble on the floors. As our forefathers stood on the prairies, so let us stand in a ring. Let us tear up their prisons like grass and beat them to barricades. Let us meet the fire of their guns with a greater fire till the birds shall fly to the mountains for one safe bow. Our platform speaker this morning is West Senior Leader, Casey Slack. No matter what anyone would have you believe, this weekend, we do not celebrate primarily a holiday about getting a cheaper couch. In fact, this weekend, we celebrate a holiday primarily about having a weekend at all. About the memory of those people who are why you can expect, could for a time expect to work eight hours, have eight hours for rest and eight hours for what you will. Those people who, with their very bodies, their very lives, gained the American worker, the five-day week, the eight-hour day, a minimum wage and every increase that minimum wage has ever seen. The workers who made it so that the mines and the factories and the farms 
were a little safer to work in, who fight still every day for teachers to have reasonable working conditions where they don't spend much of their own small salary on supplies for their classrooms. For the people who write our television and movies to get even a reasonable fraction of the profits that come in through those streaming services, through those big corporations, we celebrate this weekend what people can do together, how people can come together and raise their voices, raise their bodies, raise their living in a way that says you will not treat our fellow humans as if we do not matter. You will acknowledge the work that we put in you will give us some of the value of our labor, a proportional amount. There's a old poem, boss makes a dollar, I make a time. That's why I go to the bathroom on company time. Of course, that's a poem for a simpler time, right? Boss makes a dollar and if you make a dime to that dollar, that is impressive. Boss makes a dollar and you don't ever get health care because they hired you as a contractor so they didn't have to pay you benefits. Boss makes $20 and if you're lucky you make five because you're, you work for tipped wages and you're still allowed to be paid less than minimum wage as your hourly rate in a lot of places, not actually in DC anymore. Hey, victories. Boss makes thousands of dollars. You make less than minimum wage because you are a person with a disability and you are federally allowed to be paid under the minimum wage. I have two most important points today. The things that we do matter. The things that we do, each of us and all of us matter. And everybody deserves to flourish. Everybody deserves the opportunity to do more than survive, right? A minimum wage that is simply survivable is actually not enough because people deserve to do more than survive. People deserve the opportunity, the resources, the chance to flourish. People deserve to not have the gun of healthcare held to their head, forcing them to stay in jobs that abuse them, that hurt them, that break their bodies. Unions, labor, really important to me in some fundamental ways. There's a good chance that without the AFL-CIO, I would not be able to be here today. My grandfather was born in a holler in West Virginia that still doesn't have so much as a stoplight. 
his father died at age 29 of something that is listed as pneumonia. But if you died of pneumonia in a holler in West Virginia in 1925, probably what you actually died of was black lung. My great-grandfather worked in the coal mines. My grandfather drove the coal truck. And later, when he had the opportunity, went to work at the Ford factory in Ohio, which was a safer job by far, but still pretty dangerous when he started. If there had not been good union jobs for my grandfather and my grandmother to take. They could not have raised eight children in the way that they did. They could not have provided house and food, meager though they were for much of my parents' life. And if they had not been able to do that, my mother would not have been able to go to college and I would not have been able to go to college as I did and be launched into a bigger adventure in the world. My life would be different, fundamentally, if there had never been movements for labor. My mother-in-law of now beloved memory was a teacher in Oakland for over 40 years. She worked so hard for so long and even continued past her own retirement because though the teachers unions in California have won a lot of benefits, it was not enough actually to keep up with the rent in her Oakland apartment. The things that we do matter, and everybody deserves a chance to flourish. I think Felix Adler, founder of Ethical Culture, would have agreed with those general premises. Felix Adler would become the first chairman of the National Council on Child Labor an organization which, by their own reporting, closed in 2017 because they believed that they had won. Unfortunately, they may have been wrong about having won, but for a time they did win. There was a time when child labor in this country was minimized, we will call it that. It wasn't not happening because the things that happen to the children of immigrants are different and worse. But the National Child Labor Council did great work and made real changes in the lives of children and thus everybody in the United States. A world where children are no longer working in factories as a regular course of life was a big deal change. In fact, a change that allowed for childhood to exist at all, right? You don't get to have a childhood if you have to go to work when you're six. 
that let us get to a place where there could be teenagedom, there could be this new idea of emerging adulthood. When you are 18 to 24 and you are what my cousin now calls his children a junior adult. <laughs> where you have responsibilities and rights, but you're not quite cooked yet. As if any of us are ever all the way cooked. Adler believed that the exploitation of workers of all ages generated private fortunes that exerted, quote, a corrupting influence on American politics. And in 1880, he proposed, for the first time in American history, a maximum wage as a way to deal with this problem. He proposed a steeply gradiated tax structure with a 100% tax on the top rate, saying, when a certain high and abundant sum has been reached, amply sufficient for all the comforts and true refinements of life, at that point, 100% tax on everything you make above that. He got quite a bit of publicity in the New York Times in 1880, but it didn't take a specific legislative form until World War I, when progressives demanded a 100% tax on all income over $100,000 a year to help finance the war. Now, $100,000 does not sound like that much money in 2023. You can kind of live in Washington, D.C. on $100,000 a year, kind of. In 1914, $100,000 of now money is like $3,400 in 1914. $100,000 in 1914 is over $3 million now. Consider that proposal in the context of, if you make more than $3 million a year, then the state gets everything above that. I don't think you would get the New York Times to talk at length about that today. Maybe, I don't know, but that's not the New York Times I've been reading. Adler really cared about labor, really cared about people having enough money to live, and to live pretty well, right? Adler's proposal was not attached to funding a war. Adler's proposal was that life would be better for everyone if, after a certain point, you paid all of your income in taxes, if the more money you made, the more taxes you paid. And we can disagree about the role of the state or how well the state make, like, spends that money. There's actually a lot of space to talk about how the state spends the money. But the goal, the goal that nobody has to starve while somebody else owns multiple homes. That nobody has to be homeless when there are enough houses for everybody or when we could afford to build enough houses for everybody. 
Caitlin and I went to a winery in Maryland about an hour away yesterday. And as we drove there, we drove through what I understand to be one of the wealthiest counties in the United States. Friends, I lived in Los Angeles for six years. I've seen money. And yet, as we drove, we kept looking at houses and saying, is that a house? Or is that a, is that a church? It could be, a, it's big enough to be. Is that a, what is that? And why does it look like that? In Los Angeles, the expensive houses all look the same. They are mostly glass boxes up on hills. These, however, a wild array of the most ostentatious shit I have ever seen. <laughs> Just above and beyond for no apparent reason. I don't own one house. <laughs> if Caitlin and I manage to buy a house, it will be the first time anybody in Caitlin's family has the first time I have had anything like enough money to do that, and friends, if we have enough to do, to do that, it will be because DC will help us pay the down payment. And yet, half an hour away, so much money that they are recreating mansions in styles that have no business being in this part of the country. It's a old like Spanish colonial style, massive house that we drove by and it made me so angry because that doesn't even go here. Could you at least be thematically appropriate with your exes? I, I digress. There's a hymn you might know that Adler wrote called The City of Light. And it's based off of a longer poem that was originally published in about 1882. Have you heard of the golden city mentioned in the legends of old? Everlasting light shines o'er it. Wondrous tales are told. Only righteous men and women dwell within its gleaming wall. Wrong is banished from its borders. Justice reigns supreme o'er all. Do you ask where is that city? Where the perfect right doth reign, I must answer, I must tell you, you seek its sight in vain. You may roam o'er hill and valley, you may pass o'er land and sea, you may search the wide earth over, tis a city yet to be. We are builders of that city all our joys and all our groans help to rear its shining ramparts all our lives are building stones some can do but humblest service hew rough stones or break the soil while the few alone may gather joy and honor from their toil while the few may plan the arches and the fluted columns fair and immortal thought embody, and immortal beauty there. But if humble or exalted, all are called to task divine, all but aid alike to carry forward one sublime design. 
What the plan may be, we know not. How the seat of justice high, how the city of our vision will appear to mortal eye. That no mortal eye can picture, that no mortal tongue can tell. We can barely dream the glories of the future's citadel. But for it, we must still labor, for its sake, bear pain and grief. In it, find the end of living and the anchor of belief. But a few brief years we labor, soon our earthly day is o'er. Other builders take our place, and our place knows us no more. But the work that we have builded, oft with bleeding hands and tears, and in error and in anguish, will not perish with our years. It will be at last made perfect in the universal plan. It will help to crown the labors of the toiling hosts of man. It will last and shine transfigured in the final reign of right. It will merge into the splendors of the city of the light. I'm going to come over here now because I can't. Adler had this vision, this dream of a place in the future that we can't see yet. That would be beautiful. That would provide for everyone's needs. Where no one would need to go hungry without clothes or home, but more than that where no one would need to go without music, without reading, without entertainment that did more than dull the senses, without the opportunity to think and learn and grow and be in their fullness. I have maybe some disagreements with how he approached it, but when I frame it in, the context of who and when Adler was, it is pretty impressively ahead of its time. On a lot of things, we're gonna leave the other things aside for the moment. We're gonna just talk about this economic stuff for right now. One thing though that I notice in how Adler approached things and the reputation that ethical culture has in the world where it has a reputation and the reputation that Unitarian Universalism has in the world where it has a reputation, is that often the work is framed as charity, right? Often it is framed as, I will be the chair of an organization that will do things for other people, those other people that have problems, those other people, those other people, the ones who do the laborer who do the toil, who break their backs, we'll help them. Do you hear that? We'll help them. Like they're not here already. Like they don't have thoughts and ideas that no matter our own position, we should be listening to. 
Now, to be clear, I don't think that Adler thought they didn't have thoughts and positions that he should be listening to. I'm saying that what has happened is that it becomes this very us who give and them who receive situation, and that's not good for anybody, right? We are better when we are together. So one of the things I wanna talk about is the difference between charity and solidarity, right? The difference between charity, which fundamentally keeps the existing order in place, right? Charity, which says, well, I have money, and because I'm nice and have money, you can have things. I am not saying don't give your money to organizations. I am not saying that there are not organizations doing really good work that deserve your money. I see Ruth smiling. Uh, Ruth, who works with Meals on Wheels and, in fact, is part of a project that needs money and provides really important services. I am not saying don't give your money. I am not saying don't give your money to us either. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Just to be clear, we need your money, Meals on Wheels needs your money, your money can be really well spent, I promise. What I'm saying is that that can't be everything. Your whole engagement probably shouldn't be giving money, and an organization's whole engagement cannot be just giving money to people less fortunate, because that frame will always keep you without everyone you should have with you. That framework will always keep these doors closed to so many of our neighbors who care and love and live near us, like us, have values like ours, have hands that would be happy to volunteer in the Sunday school program or in the office, who know things that those of us who maybe spent more of our lives in academia and the nonprofit world than not really need to hear. I can only half-ass hear my own working class roots because my parents worked really hard to get me an opportunity to leave my hometown. And doing that required me changing where I was located so that I could get here and have enough money to pay my bills for the first time in my life. So what does it look like to build solidarity? How would we have to change how we talk about ourselves? to make solidarity the real goal. It turns out we're in quite a lot of luck because solidarity is a project of relationality and so is ethical culture, right? So is Wes, a project of relationality, of getting to know people as who they are not your ideas of what the package they're in means, not their class status, not their race, not their gender or what you think their gender is, not how they got here or what they do now, but who they are as whole people. 
you've got some opportunity to practice, right? To practice in a space that hopefully feels safe enough for you to feel brave and to ask people real questions about themselves without being, you know, overwhelming to someone who just got here. Please do not <laughs> approach our visitors and ask them their deepest thoughts immediately. Perhaps get to know what kind of movies they like first. Or if they say, hey, I would really love to tell you my deepest thoughts and you wanna hear that, please do. But also direct them to me because I want your deepest thoughts. Tell me, tell me the things that you think about. <laughs> you also have opportunities in your day-to-day -day life to build solidarity and to build relationality. How many of us have a coffee shop that we go to regularly? Once a week, once a day. I know that Caitlin does, okay, yeah, yeah. All right, do you talk to your baristas at all? Honestly, hey, how are you doing? Eye contact, that's enough. That builds your relationship with that person. And if you've got an extra dollar to put in the tip jar, that helps too. A barista goes through some wild things on your average morning. Consider the number of people who say, don't talk to me until I have my coffee. And that the baristas are the people who have to talk to them before the coffee. In fact, between them and the coffee, that gets bad sometimes. How many of us regularly drive or walk by a person experiencing homelessness who we recognize. Do you talk to them? Yeah. Say hi. Look them in the eye. Ask genuinely, how are you doing today? Give yourself a little space to do it. When I was in seminary in Berkeley, it was my first time living in a place where there were a lot of visibly homeless people. In Ohio, if you don't get into a shelter, you die. So you don't see people out as much. But in Berkeley, you could live on the street year round and so people do. And so there were people who I would see in my various routes home. And I would sit down and I would talk with them if I didn't have any time, I'd give them some money. And if I had money, I'd just take them into the grocery store with me. I was living on student loans that I uh, still haven't paid back. Um, but I had enough money to say, you know what? Do you need like a loaf of bread and some peanut butter and jelly and you can take that back to where you and all your friends are living? And at least then you've got peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for whatever. Or there was a particular guy who was always outside of my favorite corner store. And one day I said, come on in, let's get you something. And he's picking up food and he goes, could I have a beer? Yeah. And he looked at me, are you serious? Yes. Well, people are always so worried that if they give me money, I'm gonna spend it on alcohol. And I was like, I was gonna buy a beer too. What's it matter to me if I drink it or you do? That's a challenging prospect for some people. The idea that it's okay 
to let people spend the money that they get on whatever it is that they decide they need. But friends, I sleep in a bed. And sometimes I would really like a beer at night. If you slept on the sidewalk, you might need it. If you were addicted, you might really need it or things would go very poorly for you that night. So sometimes solidarity is about not worrying too much about what you think the right thing to have happen with your money is or what you think the perfect way to live is. It's not wrong to have resources and say, hey, you know, if you want, I know of this sober living house where you could have a bed and an opportunity to get clean. That's fine. But you can also just carry Narcan and not worry about if the person you're talking to is gonna spend the money you give them on food or whatever, because they're responsible for what they need and they know better than you do. That's one of the big things about solidarity is trusting people to know what they need and who they are. Charity gets really paternalistic. Charity gets really, I know what is right and I'm gonna tell you how to live so that you can deserve my money. Solidarity says, I know you're somebody, a whole person, not me. And I wanna listen to what you say you need. I wanna hear who you are. Solidarity also says to us amongst each other, I want you to hear who I am. I want us to put our experiences of the world next to each other and see what new stuff we learn. Because being different from each other is actually very good. Actually very important. I really want, and I'm not going to because I don't want to stress the tech team out, I very badly want to come and stand on the floor with you because there is something that feels very weird about telling you to be in mutual relationship with people from a stage. <laughs> from a stage I'm on a lot. <laughs> from a stage some of you have never seen me not be on. The work that we're doing here at home at Wes, here in DC and the DMV area, the work that ethical culture is called to do is relational. Organizing is relational. So I'm gonna give you a couple other thoughts about ways you could deepen your relational commitment to our ability to flourish, to economic justice, to labor justice. The Washington Interfaith Network, which we are a part of, does a range of excellent, excellent activities and recently, have changed their broader organizational affiliation to be even more flexible in the work that they can do. For some number of years, they were associated with the Industrial Areas Foundation, which founds organizations like WIN in a variety of cities. But the Industrial Areas Foundation both had a really big problem with not promoting women and people of color 
and refused to let individual organizations talk about LGBT rights or abortion. And so the Washington Interfaith Network is no longer affiliated with the Industrial Areas Foundation. They and seven other such organizations have departed and formed their own network of support. The people at WEN do great work and I am working with them. I would love to have anybody who wants to come with me to a meeting sometime or join me at their picnic next Saturday. I'll put information in news and notes for you. WIN does great work and is a good way for us to get to know other people in DC who are doing the kinds of work we care about. Some of whom are from congregations that are on average significantly less wealthy than ours. This is a way to build solidarity. We have a relationship with the DC Labor Chorus, but right now our relationship is mostly we let them use the space and they come and perform for us sometimes. But what would it look like to build that relationship stronger? To say, we know that you know how to do this work. How can we help? Part of doing good work is being a good follower when it's your turn to follow. Sometimes we need to approach organizations that do the kinds of work we wanna do, not with the sense that we're gonna come and save things, because probably we're not, or the sense that we know what we should do, but with humility saying, you've been doing this work. How can I help? HIPS, which is a former drug user and sex worker organized collective that provides sexually transmitted infection testing and care, as well as overdose, both information and straight up Narcan came and did a presentation for us in the spring and a number of us got trained on how to use Narcan. There is always Narcan in the office. You can just have it. But also, what would it look like for a religious organization, let's just use that word because that's what we are, tax-wise, to form a partnership with an organization founded and run by addicts and sex workers? to say these people are good and know what they need. And we support them in getting that community what they need. There are mutual aid networks. There's a mutual aid network in Ward 5 that we work with, but there are mutual aid networks across DC that we could be more involved with that we could connect with to provide a pantry. One of our sibling congregations in ethical culture in New York recently set up a pantry outside of their building. Now maybe we don't wanna put it outside of our building. Maybe this isn't the most trafficked area, but Hips, who I just mentioned, has a vending machine of condoms and Narcan in my neighborhood in Anacostia what would it look like 
to work together, to put a little pantry next to the Narcan vending machine, and to do that in collaboration with other people. Spoken for a little longer than I intended to, so let me wrap it up. The things that we do matter. They matter even if they're little, even if it's not as many of us doing it as we all would dream. They matter even when we're never going to see the good results of them. I cannot recall who said it, but someone in the history of our country said that a country is great when old men plant trees that they never expect to sit under. I heard a joke the other day that said, in the United States today, instead, old men trade in the environment so that they can get as much money as possible before they're dead. This does no good for anyone, actually, because you can have all the money you want and still die. But what's it look like if we decide to get close to the people that we think and talk about in our meditation, to the people who need care the most? And let me tell you, that's all of us sometimes. All of us have times when we are the person who has the most need. If you are in the hospital, you are a person who has the most need. Please tell me if you're in the hospital. Please tell me if you're sick. Please tell us if you're having a hard time paying your rent. Please tell us if your medicine is too expensive. Please tell us, tell me if you have needs. And let's get out there and get to know our neighbors. As weird as we might find our situation, this um, peri pandemic situation, not peri pandemic, peri, P-E-R-I, sort of coming out of but not done with pandemic time is weird for everyone. And everyone could use a friend. So let's do that. Let's celebrate the people who let us have weekends at all, the people who made it possible for me to be here, the people who probably made it possible for a lot of us to be here. Let's live in that legacy, in Adler's dream of a city of light. Let's go towards that by coming closer together. That's where the dream lives. That's where it can become real. We may not see the city of light ourselves, but we will move towards it. And that will be enough. And that will matter to whoever comes next, some of whom are already here, making very cute noises in the back of the room. Thank you all for your time, for your presence, for your being here on Zoom for everything that you do. Thank you.
Thank you. In a few minutes, we will have our community sharing time when you can write into the chat or share in person about what resonated with you in this platform. While we listen to today's musical response, you might prepare by reflecting on a personal experience. And I want to emphasize the personal experience part of that, or an activity at WES that platform brings to mind.
echoes of our turning. How nice to see the Boujacks again. <laughs> this is the time when we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform or re resonates with our personal experience. For our online participants, I invite you to share in the Zoom chat or in the comments if you're watching the recording later. If you're here in person, you can come to the microphone here at the floor and share your brief comments. And if you've spoken in recent weeks, consider leaving the space open for others. We'll start by checking to see what online participants may have written in. Bear with me a moment. All right, let me scroll back. Judy Meyer says, this talk is a great example of what I appreciate so much about UKC. You teach us and remind us that people know better what they need than we do, and we should respect that. That ways to care about and for one another is to acknowledge them. You really bring my attention to things I believe but don't necessarily know. Thank you for yet another wonderful, stimulating, meaningful talk. Thank you. Big capital letters, multiple exclamation points. Sue Smith says, thank you, KC, for an inspirational platform. Paul Baker says, great talk by KC. Loved all, whoopsie, loved all the references to Adler. It was a different time, but maybe not so much. Immigration, the first Gilded Age, etc." And Lynn says, thanks for the great talk and beautiful music. <laughs> the microphone is open. It looks like Pam might be ready to step up first, and we have a few others in the queue. Oh, I can show this could be up first. <laughs> Hi, Shirley Shehers. Um, I always give something to the homeless people when they ask. Um, my main reason is that I believe that my father was homeless at the end of his life. And I figured there were a lot of people who helped him get through the day. And I know that that kind of need, whether it's preventable or not, is complicated. And in recent times, because I don't use cash very much, sometimes I only have $10. So occasionally, and a dollar, you know, what does a dollar get you anymore anyway? Um, so you asked about personal stories. So there's a man who, has stood on the corner of Colesville and University for as long as I can remember. I think he's, his whole life he has been there. And when he, he's there less recently because I can tell he's having back problems. I mean, it's hard to stand there like that and um, 
And when I go by, if I see him there, I move over to that lane so that I can give him something. So the other day, I only had a $10 bill, so I gave him the 10. He said, oh man, this is great. I said, yeah, well, I've been, we've been meeting like this for a long time, so you know, I thought I'd do a little something better than a dollar. And he said, yeah, he said, this is great. He said, next week is my 60th birthday. And the man looked 80. I mean, you know, this is a hard life. Um, another, not a money one, but I was in the grocery store and I always say, how's your day going? And maybe what time do you get off? And this lady said, told me, and then I said, what do you like to do when you go home? She said, oh, I make jewelry. I said, oh, I would love to see it. I said, I wish you weren't working. You could show me if you have pictures. She stops checking out the groceries, grabs, <laughs> go digs for her wallet, brings it out, hands it to me, and then starts, you know, and I'm like, oh, I hope I don't get her fired. That's, and anybody who's met me who knows, can I, do you have any pictures of your art? Don't ask unless you want to see. So I, under, I understood that at a deep level. Um, the last one, because we're all suspicious of people who panhandle, you know, it's, I try not to judge, but um, I was in the airport waiting for my brother to arrive, and this man came by, and I was sitting on a bench, so he came by, and he sat, you know, at a safe distance away from me, and he sat there for a little while, and then he said, he says, started telling me this story about how he was stranded in the airport for three days because he was waiting for a check from the VA so he could buy a ticket. I didn't even understand the whole story, but it sounded like, you know, this is very creative. I, I can't imagine this really happening. He said, you wouldn't have any money. He says, I'm hungry. Would you have any money that you could give me? So I gave him another $10, which he was like, oh man, this is great. He says, I can buy two hot dogs with this. So he left and he came back about 20 minutes later because I was still there and I always um, go early. And he said, thanks again, that was so great. He, he showed me this bag and he said, I ate one and I saved one for later. So I was just like, yeah, okay, good. Hi, I'm Pam and um, I appreciate the talk today, especially about Felix Adler, but also you're really talking about solidarity. And um, I'm just so proud of, that I was able to be and still am part of the Global Connections Committee and that Wes and the delegations that have gone down to El Rodeo practice solidarity with them. And it, it's just amazing you know, the relationships that we have. And it's not a charity at all because they take care of us as much as we do. I mean, but you know, together we were able to build that water project and we couldn't have done it without you guys, but you also have to have boots on the ground. And I, I do hope that we can have groups continue to go down there. I know right now it's, it's you know, tricky. But um, solidarity is, I've never felt so fulfilled without doing it that way. And I know a lot of people that go on other trips and it's more of a charity trip and it's just different. And you just don't get the same feeling. So I just support that and hope others will too. Hi, I'm Loretta. 
And I must confess, I was not planning to come today. Um, I've been helping someone. I'm going to tell you that as my personal story in a minute. Um, and I had promised another friend was going to help. We were going to, she's going to stay at her home and I was stay at mine. We're going to read the Sunday paper and we're going to have coffee because we've been working every day this week on this project. And, uh, and then I read the paper and the, came to the letters to the editor. And if you haven't seen today's Washington Post, KC has a letter to the editor in there. And it, what it was about, and there were a couple before it, um, there was an op-ed piece, uh, I don't know how long, a few days ago, a week ago, I don't know how long ago. And uh, I saw it and I skimmed it at the time, but I didn't really read it thoroughly, but it had to do with the decline in religion and people going to church and, and all of that. And, and as I read the letters, these were letters in response to that, and they were talking, some of them like, I was a Christian, but I'm not, I'm not with this church because I didn't like the, this or that, and are looking around and going to different churches. And I thought, oh gosh, I wish somebody from West had written something. <laughs> so I read the first one, I read the second one, I start reading the second, third one, and I didn't see Casey's name at the bottom of it yet, because it goes, flips around. And I'm reading, I thought, oh, thank you. And then also I realized somebody from West had written it. So then I looked to see, and there's Casey. So you must read it um, if you don't get the paper version, although you could get it at the post, you know, you could go to the CVS and buy one, or you can go online, but do look up the letters to the editors today. And the project I'm working on, um, and, and by the way, what you said about what we do matters, I think what she wrote matters a great deal. Um, but what I'm doing, I'm helping a friend of mine died. Um, I don't even know if I can say In and out. Um, died August 1st, and um, he's, he was in, he's been at Summers, he was, I've known him for 50 years. He was, spends his summers in Colorado, and then he comes home and he lives around the corner from me. He had lived, we had a group house many years ago. He lived, I lived with him for, not as a lover, I had a husband, but you know, as, as friends, for, for 30 years of that, and 20 years he's been living where he is now, around the corner. And he died. And I flew out to Colorado to help his sister for about a week. That's all he had, he and his sister and a few cousins. Um, and she was working so hard on that. And she, her husband had just died a couple, week, a couple months before that. So this woman really had it hard. I, I, you know, I lost my husband too, but that's almost a year ago. So anyway, so then I come home and I said, I've got to help her. I saw what she had to do with their home there. And then she had her own problems in Florida where her own home was. So I said, I will help on the house here because um, she needs to sell it. And I know the house well. I know my friend. I know the stuff he has. And I have two other friends who are helping, one of whom is a professional organizer. Her name's Judy Tiger. So if you ever need a professional organizer, she's doing it for free for Stan, but my, my friend. But um, but she does do this as a day, day job. Any rate, um, so this morning, she was the one that I said, oh, yeah, let's read the paper this morning, and we're going to meet this afternoon. The thing that I want to say about this and why you say what we do matters, I can't tell you how many people have said to me who've heard that I'm doing this, I can't believe you're doing that. That's not, isn't, doesn't he have family? I said, no, he doesn't. He has no family here in D.C. I said, I am his family. He was like my brother. I have two sisters. I had no brother. And, but I can't, I'm just surprised at how these people say, oh, well, I can't believe you're doing that for him. And then I'm thinking, you wouldn't, you know? I mean, people at West, I know others here have done that for others who needed help, and I know you would help too. I'm not just tooting my horn. I'm actually tooting yours. 
Shayla, she, her. This is the kind of thing that I've always hoped Wes would be, this helping others. And, you know, that's basically why I joined Wes, just to have hopefully people of like mind. Um, I volunteer with Ward 5 Mutual Aid. Um, we have a food pantry that's open on Saturdays and Sundays. And the rest of the week, we don't have volunteers. There's food sitting in the pantry and people can't get it because there's no volunteers. So if anyone's interested, um, or even, you know, small furniture, kitchen items that you need to donate, um, you know, we could use that kind of stuff. So just get in touch with me. Thanks. I am Karen Sheher, daughter of Shirley, who spoke first. Uh, Casey, thank you so much for this platform. Uh, I can tell that this is uh, a topic that holds a lot of passion for you, and I definitely feel the same way. Solidarity is one of my favorite words, one of my favorite concepts. Um, I am, however, not like my mom in that it is very hard for me to say, how are you, to someone in the grocery store. So um, I had, anyway, I, I was so passionate about what you had said, and I kept forgetting to listen to you from time to time because I kept thinking of all of these things, and, and I thought I could, I, I could give a whole other platform on your platform because it brought so many things to mind. But I had whittled it down to what I wanted to say, and then Pam said it for me. <laughs> um, so I, I think what I just want to say is that one of the things that I truly love, one of the many things I love about Wes, is that while solidarity is something that I, I learned about from my early childhood because my parents played Pete Seeger music all the time. Um, the first time I really got to live it and embody it was because I came here and because I went uh, to our sister community in El Salvador and worked with and lived in solidarity with the people there. Um, so it, I just wanted to say that we are so fortunate to be in this community because we get an opportunity to live in solidarity. So I'm Bill, he and him, and I want to thank Casey um, again for going over a lot of the history. I'm one of those people from a generation whose uh, family benefited from the steel workers organizing and the relative wage increases and and um, income that my dad um, uh, obtained, um, you know, in the 60s, beginning of the late 50s and the 60s. And so I, a lot of labor history, to be honest, I didn't grow up experiencing. Um, I experienced the benefits and I kind of took for granted a lot of that. Um, interestingly enough, I, you know, I work for one of the few nonprofits um, that actually um, is unionized. And Something that's kind of, I, I'm realizing now, um, generally in labor history, if I read correctly, the bargain has been, we'll give you wage increases, we manage everything. So you make that trade off. In the nonprofit sector, where I am, um, we have um, negotiated and improved in the last 25 years I've been there to bring our wages up to levels comparable to other nonprofits, and that's very significant. And we have very good health insurance. Um, those things, those benefits are very good. But in the last 10 years, we've also attempted to go uh, a step further and to deal with the, the, um, the inequity of, of advancements and promotions and treatment. And so 
What I want to say is, though, we have gotten rid of abusive language and hollering and screaming, which managers could do um, in prior years. Um, that was not unusual in these kindly motivated um, nonprofits. We've gotten rid of that. But on the equitable issue, treating people fairly, um, we're still failing in that. And we're still in this model, where we have gotten these wages, wages increased, and these are all substantial. But getting to the issue of treating people fairly, um, we're not there. And I, I just want to say that the, um, the SEIU that we affiliate with, my experience is that they don't even understand that. The idea that somehow unionized staff would be um, entitled um, to being treated fairly, equitably th throughout. So I feel like we're on a cutting edge, and I'm really not sure where we go from there. But there are issues beyond bread and butter that, um, that need to be dealt with. Hi. Um, uh, Roberta, um, I have been a member for a long time. Okay, I could hear it. But anyway, um, uh, when I used to work on the mall, I used to walk up, I don't know what street it was, to get to Union Station, and I would meet a lot of homeless people along the way. And after a conversation with a few friends, they said, you should give money to them. So I used to come back with some money, and, um, and I would give them, and they would know who I was after a while. But the other part is that Wes, for many years, we used to go to Luther Place and we would bring food to them. And it was a very um, mind opening thing to see these people who are homeless, who have a place to go. And I remember one time at Christmas time, Matthew Wayman was there with his flute and he played for them. And it was really a very moving time. One of the that would happen. And the, but the one funny part was somebody brought couscous. And couscous is not part of their diet, and it just sat there. But if you had things that were soup kitchen-y, um, they liked it very much. And it was a very moving experience that I did for many years. And I think it's something we can reconsider in some way. Thank you. Hello, I'm Ruth, she, hers. Uh, I'm not the most comfortable public speaker, so I'm pushing myself to be up here. But I do feel I need to say something on behalf of the organization I work with, Meals on Wheels. Um, like the, in terms of solidarity, we are all gonna be, um, we may not be homebound or, or lonely, but we are all gonna be older, we're all gonna be stuck at home at times, recovering from surgery, people living with disabilities, and seniors for sure. Um, invite people to, to join us in solidarity. Um, I really feel that this organization, uh, Meals on Wheels of Tacoma Park, Silver Spring, so are, we come right up to, to very close to where, where this uh, facility is located. Um, we are of our community. We are serving homebound neighbors delicious, really delicious meals five days a week. Um, please come join us. We're in desperate need of volunteers. We need drivers and kitchen assistants from 9 a.m. to about 2 p.m. in different shorter shifts. And I don't know if this community might ever be interested in maybe adopting a week. Uh, there are some weeks each year that are really tough between Christmas and New Year's. Um, also, in there's a week in June and a week in September when 
summer the students are back at school not doing their SSL hours in the summer, but the retired people are still traveling. Uh, and we have these gaps periodically, so maybe this community would like to adopt a week and help fill in some of the gaps or individually, please reach out to us. We're easy to find on the internet, uh, Meals on Wheels Tacoma Park, and we'll pop right up. So thank you. There's uh, one additional comment in the chat from Judy Myers who says, I believe that the statement that people with disabilities are allowed to be paid less than minimum wage is inaccurate. That's part of what the ADA is all about. So, you know, maybe some fact checking, what have you, but I think the concept is still holds that there are many folks, um, including incarcerated people, who are paid so substantially less than um, a living wage uh, or minimum wage even, which is, arguably not a living wage, so we can stick all with that. But anyway, thank you all for your comments and your stories and your solidarity work. And just as we share our perspectives in this community, so too do we share our resources and gifts. Here at West, we split all undesignated gifts in the Sunday collection between our operating budget and a fund dedicated to justice and compassion. And this month, we are pleased to support Dream Wakers, who believe that intelligence is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. They aim to close the opportunity gap for students from systemically under-resourced schools who research shows have significantly less exposure to professional role models as compared with their wealthier peers. And the gap widens as students develop, resulting in profound educational and professional consequences. So DreamWakers partners with fourth to 12th grade classrooms nationwide prioritizing schools and programs in which at least 50% of the student body is eligible for free or reduced price lunch. And through interactive virtual sessions, DreamWakers connects professionals in a wide array of industries to classrooms across the country. So they host these 45 minute flash chats designed to shed light on the real world applicability of curriculum while highlighting inspirational stories of engaging relatable role models. So let's all take, take a, a moment, moment to prepare to respond to the invitation to generosity as we are able. To donate online through the simple gift system, text an amount to 202-335-1885, or go to tiny.cc slash westgives, or collect on give on our website, ethicalsociety.org. If you'd like to donate in person today, you can place cash or a check in the basket at the back of the hall on your way out, and of course, you can always send a check by mail. I'm going to thank all for their generosity, and we will now receive your gifts and the gift of music.
a few things coming up in the life of our community. As you may have heard in the news recently, U.S. government officials have confirmed that we are not alone in the universe. Wes has made contact with and will be hosting extra special visitors for our 2023 auction on Saturday, November 18th. Get ready for out of this world multimedia celebration and contact Emily Newman for planning, donating, and day of volunteering offers. Wednesday at 7.30, right here in this room, is the weekly chorus rehearsal. And the chorus, all are welcome. We've had the delight of having some new folks join us recently, which has been really terrific. And there's always room for more voices and people. And uh, a teaser that the chorus and the West Band will be providing music live next Sunday for our season opener. So please be here to hear all that. And if you checked in the news and notes, you'll see that Wednesdays at West is being revived. You can join us for a monthly social gathering and pasta dinner ahead of evening activities, including chorus rehearsals and financial literacy classes for youth. So check news and notes for the link to RSVP. If you are new to our community, please introduce yourself in person or via the connection form at tiny.cc slash westconnects or an email to wes at ethicalsociety.org. After closing words, please join us for social hour either here in person or on Zoom. And that's it for our announcements today. As always, you can find information about opportunities to connect in the weekly news and notes email and on the calendar page of Wes's website, ethicalsociety.org. I'm going to say thank you so much to the many people who helped to create this morning's time together. Today's platform speaker, Senior Leader Casey Slack, Perry Bider, and Leah Morris Artsebens, you'll see in a moment, and members of the West Chorus for the music today. Staff members and Dara Miles, Robin Kravitz, and Maceo Thomas. And of course, the many people on our production platform, volunteers, the tech team members, slide artists, Zoom chat usher, and in-person greeters. And I invite you now to join in our closing sing-along and then closing words.
for our closing words. Let us go into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment to a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you all for joining today's platform in person or remotely. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.